So before we get on with the episode, I need to jump in and let you know something that we forgot to record, which is we have one last live show coming up. This is the last show ever on our year of the smile run. We are going to be down in Austin, Texas, Austin, Tejas on April 15th. We're going to be at the far out lounge. Young Chomsky's performing. You can get tickets at the link. And this is going to be the last time we do this version of this show ever. We're not doing it again and we're not recording. We're not putting it out there. This is it. So if you want to see it, if you want to catch it before it's poof, like gone forever, forever, floating out into the morass of forgottenness, come come on down and hang out with us in Austin, Texas at the Far Out Lounge, April 15th. It's like in two weeks, which is crazy. Or I don't know, maybe it's next week. That's crazy too. Unless you're listening to this in the future, in which case, damn, you fucked up. You missed out. So you know how we were doing the, like, we were listening back to our old episode? Yeah. When we were talking about the old episode titles? Yeah. And then I remembered the first episode we did with Noah was called Jew Detective. Jew Detective, yeah. That's a great title. I know. And, you know, it, we really brought back that ancient form of figuring out someone's race by the shape of their nose, too. Oh that God. was we, pi- we re-pioneered that in that episode. And look at how it's caught on. It's huge now. Well, that's the nose. Yes, yes. Hello... Ladies and gentlemen. Hello, I'm Liz. My name is oh, just a little brace. We are, of course, joined by our beswaddled producer, Young Chomsky. <laughs> no, that's not that episode. No? Okay, fuck. All right, well, actually, you know what? No, Hold. don't even. Do, no. Don't do it. Brace, uh, There's been a stop. lot about adult Please baby stop. diaper lovers in the press <laughs> This is lately. true not. Happy Passover! (laughs) I had this crazy woman approach me on the way here, by the way. Purple coat, purple pants, purple shoes, purple socks. It was Barney. And she was like, excuse me, is it Easter on Sunday? And I was like, it is. He's risen. It is Easter. What does she want? What does she want? Why is she wearing purple? He's not here. We did away with him. (laughs) If you live in the John Wick world... (laughs) Uh, and listen, if somebody knows it, I've looked up for a brief minute, tried to find out the answers to this. I could not. If you live in the John Wick world and you are a John Wick guy, like you're an assassin, who are you assassinating? Who Who is your Here's target? Here's the thing. I, so you're like obsessed with this problem, but only because you haven't seen the other people in the in the universe that Nor could have, be targets. have right? I heard them mentioned. Right, but you're saying like you're assuming that they don't. I, it's just they're somewhere. There's somebody. There is an extraordinary amount of money, of spiz flowing around in the John Wick universe. I mean, these guys have have. I mean, palaces for Christ's sake. Mm. And my question is like, so obviously they operate above the level of any government or international organization, mm. right? But where is the fund? Like, where are the funds coming from, and who are they killing to get this powerful? First of all. Obviously, one, Bitcoin. Bitcoin, Bitcoin. yeah, Bitcoin. Two, I don't know, man, it's a movie. Yeah, I know, but we're at the fourth one now, and we really... I have a question here is, the John Wick Assassin Hotel, 
That's so corny. You hate the Assassin Hotel. I just like, I think that, I, we were saying this before we started recording, but I'm going to repeat myself because I think it's true and I want to share this with our listeners, which is that John Wick, excluding the first one, because I think the first one is like very, very good. Yeah. And then second, third, and fourth, well, I haven't seen the fourth, but I assume it's like they've sort of like live in what has, what is now the called the John Wick universe. Whereas yeah. the first one is like the standalone little movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. Of course it exists. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. no, 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 fully. But so in the second and third one, the aesthetics of the movie are like walking this real fine line between or like basically what I would say is like some kind of like fashy, almost futuristic Euro vibe. Yeah, it's very European. <laughs> it's like it's welcome European. to Brussels yeah. in the future. It rocks. Are you bisexual? Yeah. yeah. But then yeah. it's like you go to the hotel and it's like, oh, now it's cyber. It's like. We're in the past. Yeah. It's Here's steampunk. the pocket watch. It's steampunk. Something, and I'm like, I'm not here for that at all. Something I noticed, and I don't want to, no spoilers for you guys, okay? Mm. But for John Wick I'm not one of those people. A lot of pocket watch chains in there. We don't see a lot of pocket watches come out, but there's a lot of guys wearing fully buttoned vests with chains on them motherfuckers. But is that a wallet chain or, or a watch chain? You're not wearing the wallet right there. First of all, they're all oh, digital wallets. there. Yeah. For, these, now a wallet chain would look great in, in the John Wick universe. A wallet probably RFID. That would be sick as hell. RFID. I gotta say, one of my most like normie ass, the Ringer Podcast Network ass opinions about movies, and I've held this for like ten years mm. and counting, is that there should be a crossover between the Magic Mike universe and the Fast and Furious universe, oh, yeah, that'd be good. where Magic Mike. Stripper team teams up with the family to like fight car crime or whatever, yeah, yeah. And, and there's some erotic and dancing involved. Car crime, and I feel like that would make a lot of sense for everyone involved, and it would be very fun. I was thinking about this, whereas like with John Wick, what I want to see is the John Wick crossover into the Lydia Tar universe. Oh, okay. <laughs> and that would be fucking... Yeah, you want to talk all, about John who they're Wick, assassinating. They kill Lydia yeah, Tar. You want John Lydia Wick Tarr. to kill Lydia uh, no, Tar? No spoilers, no spoilers. Okay. But oh. I think John Wick in Lydia Tar, but yeah. then Lydia Tar in John Wick. Oh, that's good. Well, you think John boom. Wick could make Lydia Tar straight? I oh, no. Huh, no. Well, I haven't seen Tar, but I get it. Yeah, <laughs> my thing. My thing is, what would be sick if John? She's a concert lady, right? Uh, conductor. Compo- conductor. Train conductor. Maestro. She's a maestro. Check maestro. this out. John Wick silenced pistol. Mm. Right. He sees the bad guy on the balcony, and John Wick is is looking in the reflection of Lydia Tarr's podium, her her conductor's podium. In the metal, because it's it's like a it's like a really it's like a stainless steel because we're in Europe, and he sees he sees the reflection, the glint of a scope, and he goes back and goes. Pew, pew. But see, here's the thing: is uh-huh. that in the John Wick universe, that scene would have like burgundy velvet drapes and a like Russian maestro yeah. with a ballerina, like it would be like so way too over the top theatrical. Whereas if it were in my version of how the John Wick universe and ex Lydia Tarr universe should be, no, it would be like in the UN. You're like making it premium. You know, you're get, you're talking like, yeah. like, like Deutsche Gramophone. John yes. Wick, you know, I also, I think, I think John Wick's lawyer 
Michael Clayton. That'd be sick. We need to get Michael oh, Clayton shit. in there as his lawyer. Do yeah. I that look like great... I'm negotiating? Yeah. Now him, that is a that'd be crazy. Could you, you imagine could, you those two what? having a conversation? You could oh, go the on Baba the ringer. Yaga. He's walking could, over oh, there. Oh, I could easily be. On, well, I don't know what the ringer is, but I could easily be. You got to float that opinion 100%. on there. Bill Simmons is going to eat that shit. My up. idea, though, before we get started, this actually segues us kind of nicely into the topic of today. My idea for a complete, you know how they make, try to make a Bob Odenkirk, John Wick, one of my most hated movies I've ever seen in my Third entire life. In a row you've mentioned I this. know, but it really genuinely pissed me off. I don't see very many movies. I saw that movie. I did not like it. You've seen more movies than I have this year. They need to make John Weak. Like a like a, like a, a little guy who oh, really I don't want to be doing no, this. You know this how is how this is terrible. You know how John Wick throws the gun after he runs out of bullets. <laughs> this guy immediately throws the gun <laughs> underhand at somebody to try to make them catch it and so that they get distracted. And he's just like, no, you wouldn't hit a guy with glasses, would you? And just running and running and running and running and running and running, John Week. I think it would really be, because there's like a lot of people like myself who are mm. physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, sexually weak. And we need a role model of like a weak guy who's also not strong. And just running away. What about away. Jared Leto? Jared Le- Leto, unfortunately, due to his sexual predilections, <laughs> I can't look... Uh, up to him. However, I also am, his height. His how tall is he? I think he's a short guy, isn't he? Uh, I don't know. I'm yeah, he reads too. short. Yeah, yeah he's, he reads he's, short. He, All he, famous people are short. Yeah, he's he's short to me. Yeah, except for famous women who are always tall. Yeah, uh, that's is, mm, cap. Uh, well, I'm thinking of just famous a, women are either tall or short. Yeah, yeah. but never mid. Never middle. Never you're middle. Either like what a, is middle height? You're oh, either no. like a five two or you're five ten or you're six three. Yeah, yeah, Brittany Griner. <laughs> well, we've brought Noah Cohen in the studio, which is actually our our bunker that we shelter in near Tel Aviv in case there's <laughs> rocket attacks that come in at us. Just playing. We are here in the Brooklyn podcast food court right in the middle, microphone set up at the table to talk about a subject near and dear to our sp- uh, sparts, I almost just said, hearts. Let's go with. Our sparts? Our sparts. I don't know what I was going to say with that. (laughs) I don't know what Brooklyn podcast lunch food hall means either, but just a – you know what I'm talking about with that though. Can you see – no, no. No, I mean food hall like – Like smorgasbord? Smorgasbord food hall. Wow. That's what our studio looks like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's all – it smells – it reeks of shellfish That famous Brooklyn barbecue. We only serve clam sandwich, lobster sandwich, (laughs) crab sandwich, and we got a guy right over there making them, and it stinks in here. Noah, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Nice to have you back in person. Yeah, much. I am thrilled to be here in person. The studio is lovely. I wish you were wearing a shirt, but you know what? Can't win everything. <laughs> um, why are you here? Israel. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And if if memory serves, and my eyes do not deceive me, there's been a couple of funky uh, things going on in Israel. That's in the right. Past few months. Uh, the Israeli government, which has uh, the the recently formed Israeli government. Uh, is led by the most right-wing people to ever lead a government in the history of Israel, uh, which is, you know... Hundreds no of years feet. old. Yes, exactly. Thousands yeah, of it's years actually old. Thousands Excuse of, yeah. me. Uh, this is the most right-wing leadership since Judah Maccabee. Wow. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, so... And, and the uh, inciting event, as mm-hmm. it were, this time around, for why people are paying attention to it, at least is because the Netanyahu-led government 
decided to push through legislation that would effectively make the courts within Israel uh, answer to the legislature. Yeah. They would take away the court's right to have, you know, judicial review over legislation. I think we need to back up here a little bit and go way back in time to Israel's founding in 1948. <laughs> so one thing Israel doesn't have, along with Britain and like four other countries, which I think mostly are other ex-common or commonwealth countries. Yeah. Sense uh, is, of dignity. Yes. And lacking a constitution. Correct. And, you know, I was always told in PE class when I was walking the mile that Jews do lack constitution. I thought they were just talking about me, but in fact, they are talking about the very state that I hold citizenship to. So Israel, as far as I understand it, Noah, you know probably much more about this than I do. But when Israel started, they were like, all right, we're going to do a constitution, but later. <laughs> like we'll get to we'll it. We'll get to we, it. I swear we're going to get to Not it. Not everyone's here yet. We got to get way more guys over yeah. <laughs> here until we can do a constitution. Yeah. They're like, we're going to do a constitution. Swear to on God. Well, G hyphen D, but uh, we're not going to do it right now. Uh, it is now 2023 and there is still no constitution, right? Because this constitution to me, again, not a legal scholar here, seems pretty important for the formation of like laws and stuff like that. Yes. I think in the case of Israel too, where you have a, you know, it's, it's ostensibly a parliamentary democracy. And we're talking, of course, only about, you know, the, within the state of Israel, we're not talking about the millions of people, millions of Palestinians yes. who live in the West Bank and Gaza, which yeah. are under de facto Israeli military control and or bombardment. Yeah. And in the case of the constitution in Israel, they decided, you know, like we're going to kick the can down the road, but we're going to have a stopgap. And, and, you know, like, like many grand political compromises intended only to last a short while, it has instead lasted the entirety of the existence of the state, mm. which is that there are five basic laws. There's no need to know them individually. The important thing to know, though, is that five basic laws a constitution do not make. Yes. And so there is, I would say, you know, as it relates to this current crisis, a little bit of, you know, overheated rhetoric about, like, how there is a, you know, like, th this is um, stripping away the last vestiges of democracy within Israel. Mm -hmm. Let's put quotes um, around that. For a yeah, you know, because it's 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 a little bit, you know, it's it kind of ignores the uh, you know premises <laughs> on which Israel was set up in the first place and yeah. has you know continued to be, uh, particularly since 1967, um, you know, on the premise on which the state is operated. I think that the the significance of this development, if it's not just about like oh, is democracy dying in Israel? What it is is that, you know, on, on a practical level, the courts within the Israeli political system are essentially the only thing that has kept the Israeli political system from going beyond what other countries, other governments, international bodies would consider the bright red lines. Things like, you know, annexing Palestinian territory outright yeah. mm. and making it part of Israel and demanding it to be internationally recognized as such. Um, Certain kind of treatment of Palestinians even more harshly than they already are in terms of, you know, bringing back the death penalty. Um, you know, there's a wide variety of, uh, you know, things that become – that come on the table that otherwise would not be the, if the courts are, you know, essentially castrated. And that is, you know, on a, again, on a practical level – uh, not a great outcome. No. But if we're really talking about like what is happening 
what is changing in the character of the Israeli state, I would argue that this coalition is in effect – you know, bringing out like the – it's like sucking out the cum of Israel. It's getting its true essence yeah. Yeah. most, you know, purely. You've got like a, a government that is actually really attempting to lead Israel toward a truer purpose of what the government is set up to do yes. yeah. than what the government has been in before, which is, you know, has had truthfully, you know, has, in, you know, been stopped from pursuing some of the most aggressive, uh, you know, and genocidal policies against Palestinians. Well, I think that's an important point because in the kind of classic, um, let's say, pro-democracy argument, when you start to see the kind of classic authoritarian slide or whatever, like these kind of like political science types like to talk about, what they're usually referring to is when like courts are emboldened or strengthened, <laughs> right? You, you know, in the classic, like yeah. Poland, for example, that happened. Or, you know, in other countries uh, in Brazil, right? Where they're, you're seeing kind of like sw sweeping use of the courts Manhattan. to kind of usurp uh, sort of, you know. Hell, in America, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean but I mean, so the, this is a sort of different formulation because the politics in Israel are, are quite different. And also, I would say that in the case of the, the courts, it's because the courts are secular. Like they're a secular, you know, uh, like they are like just like they have they, they have some uh, intellectual and philosophical foundation in Jewish precepts, but like they're not religious courts. The judges are not rabbis. Yeah. But the people who lead this government, many of them, if right. not most, want those people ultimately down the line to be rabbis. Well, and like the elected leadership in the parliament. Yeah. <laughs> Is quite right wing. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes absolutely. So, so as as Israel's political system overall, right? It's a unicameral parliament, Correct. meaning they just have one fucking house, uh, and the party that has the most seats and can gather a coalition gets to form the executive branch. Correct. Right. And, and you have to to form a coalition. It's sixty plus one because yeah. there's one hundred twenty seats, and traditionally, but not always. The party that comes in first yeah. will get the ability to form a coalition. However, the way it, it works, and this is, uh, you know, again, like it's all of this stuff is basically, you know, you're describing like what well, it's supposed to do. That, that, like, there's no yeah, constitution. Yeah, yeah. There's not like a lot of formal practices or formal uh, instructions that outline this. The president, who is the formal head of state, right. but who really does not have powers beyond the specific function, um, he then invites somebody to form a government. And he'll invite for whomever there is the most obvious path to form a sure. majority coalition. Gotcha. Now, 60 plus one is a very, you know, like in Weimar Germany, for example, a notoriously stable government, you could form minority governments. You yeah. Could, like they had governments, you know, led by the Social Democrats, for example, that, you know, were able to uh, – you know, rule and continue to hold power even though they didn't make up a majority of yes. the uh, legislature. Mm. In Israel, 60 plus one, if it's under that, the government fall. you know, you got issues. Government falls, you got to form a new government. That's right. why Israel recently has gone to elections so many times. And so if you already start from, okay, like, you know, you got 120. If you are the right wing and, you know, there are, or you're, let's say, you know, like you're not going to form a coalition with Arabs. 
And if you're the center and the left, you know, like, or, or if you're, 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 you know, some parties are not going to be in coalition with others because they want different things. And so you end up in the process of catering to smaller blocks that are just sure. either not mm-hmm. going to participate like Arab, like Arab Israeli parties. This is always the problem. It's always the problem. I think the issue, you know, now is they've got it, like, especially as it relates to this legislation, is that they are, you know, like, like th- I mean, this to me is, you know, I mean, I brought up Weimar for a reason because I do think that this is, you know, like it's – this is part of the process of how you see, like, you know, like an actual, like, authoritarian slide, you know, if not quite a one-party state. But, like, you know, truly this unworkable parliamentary system, mm. you know, widening inequality, an enormous amount of ethnic, uh, you know, like, like, like anxiety, to put it mildly, that's just clearly going to become genocidal ferment. Yeah. You know, it's very – to me, you know, it's – it's this law is very reminiscent of the emergency legislation to me that was passed in the years before, yeah. you know, Hitler ever became chancellor. So, like Bray said, let's back up for one second because we should talk about the election that put this coalition together, yeah. right? That was just last year. Yeah, the Netanyahu right, government right. was sworn in in January, I think. Yeah. Um, so it's only been a couple months. There's basically been nonstop protests since then. Yes. Um, and the Netanyahu coalition is basically Netanyahu himself, very famous – I would say right wing. Yes. <laughs> yes. And yet his coalition, further right wing. I'd say ultra nationalist, reli- ultra orthodox. Yeah. Ultra well, it's a mix right of both. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a combination. So there's secular nationalism in Israel is largely expressed through the Likud, which is right. Netanyahu's party. And the other parties, you know, are varying degrees religious, are varying degrees. Um, uh, nationalists, but like the fusion, you know, some are, there really are, you know, let's say Shas is the most famous example, religious parties whose primary constituencies are other religious people as well as charity for the poor. Um, and I think that if you, you know, look at parties like that, like they have increasingly become more comfortable and open to a lot of what people would think of as like the excesses of Netanyahu because they have similar problems. Yeah. They have leaders who face serious corruption charges and investigations. Mm. They have people who are also, you know, like they're, they're dealing with the same kind, you know, like, like, like uh, Netanyahu is not such an exceptional figure. He's just the most exaggerated uh, of on uh, in terms of the, uh, you know, uh, like sort of political needs that are sort of forcing his hand, as he would say, in terms of, you know, trying to avoid prosecution and whatnot. The other thing, as far as the nationalism goes, is that the settler movement and the religious uh, settler movement uh, is becoming increasingly powerful in ways that even a few years ago, I think people were not, you know, really starting to, you know, were not opening their eyes to. Uh, People like Itamar Ben-Gvir, who is, you know, just like a, 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 was... You know, somebody who was not allowed to participate in politics for many years because he was good by the by the police because he was too radical. I want to I want to pause on Ben Gavir for yeah. a second here because he's a pretty important part of this story, yes. right? So Itamar Ben Gavir is the minister of national security, which I gotta say followed the true and on rules there. However, the way that Israel's government and police are set up, not fully. It's not exactly the same as an interior minister position. However, and not kudos to him, he's a bad guy, but. He is following the rules here. He is trying to create his own private police force. I will say, Ben Gavir, it is. It was. It made some pretty big news that he he was a, a member of go- uh, government. Like there was international news stories about it because his. I'm trying to think of the equivalent to Ben Gavir 
in like another country. But I will, and I'm I'm kind of Jay failing. Edgar Hoover. Yeah, may, no, I mean I'm kidding. Not really because he's worse. not a surveillance guy. But it's like, yeah. but he's like you know he's he's he he wants to be a force within the state that I don't think that there has been somebody who's attempted for many years because Israel, you know, as like a as a state where like the military. The military has primacy in every state. Let's not kid ourselves. But in Israel, it has extra primacy. And, uh, you know, and, and that means, you know, military traditions includes a fair amount of turnover that people don't just like, you know, stay yeah. in charge, you know, et cetera. Like the idea of somebody trying to set up like an individual power center within the Israeli state, that's a fairly novel development, at least this overtly. And in the case of Ben Gvir, you know, he wants to create his own brown shirts. He wants yeah. to, you know, and these are, by the way, these are all aspirations. Like the same way with this law. Like they kicked it down. They announced, by the way, you know, th- this has broken out in a protest over the last month. Month, but because, as you're saying, Ben Gvir is so controversial, the you know process has been arrested somewhat because there is you know like a, such a substantial backlash. Yeah, <laughs> I will say though, like like I'm just just to give listeners who might not know who he is like a a a a picture of Ben Gvir as a person for many years up until I think just a couple of years ago, he had a picture of Baruch Goldstein above his desk. Uh, which, you know, without going too much into the details, is the exact same thing, I think it's safe to say, as having a picture of the Christchurch mosque shooter yeah, over I'm, your desk. Like one <laughs> Literally, it's a one-to-one comparison. Yeah, the, the guy, guy did the exact same thing. Yeah, the guy shot up like uh, a— A mass shooter. Yeah. He, he, went, into, he, he went into— He a, went into the Cave of the Patriarchs yeah. uh, in Hebron, a Muslim holy site that is today surrounded by the most rabid and extreme Israeli settlers. Yeah. Um, and so, he shot he shot he killed 25 people yeah, praying and he yeah. shot 125 other people wounded them this is a this is a mass murderer a, a, a spree killer and Ben Gavir has a a portrait of him hanging over his desk, pride of place over his desk. I mean, Ben Gavir's politics, like you said, were so extreme that he was he was they wouldn't even let him join the army. Like it's, they said that we don't we don't want people like that. And this is also where you know now the army has over the last like 30 years. But been in a process of um, introducing more and more religious units. Yeah. Um, they're trying because, you know, it was to them, they don't want people like for, so there's like also there's a couple things here like right like this is also a great illustration of like the dangers of having compulsory uh military service in a given country which is that if you create this one institution that socializes everybody and then you have a bunch of people who exist outside that institution then how do you reach them yeah. and so in this case it meant that that well we're going to create these divisions and so on brigades that will let in these religious you know zionists and you know nationalists in fact uh if people have seen the movie the, or the series the boys or our boys on um, HBO. Uh, one of the directors of that, Joseph Cedar, he made a very good thriller movie in the '90s about a bunch of young religious settlers who planned a terrorist attack in Jerusalem. And there's a you know like like these, which is only to say that these are not new issues, and that religious infiltration of the army, in addition to like you know bourgeois yeah. government, is now and, and you know I don't mean to say religious in like such a catch-all way, like I you don't want to be glib there, like like I mean like you know these like uh, ultra nationalist, ultra religious figures, like in the same way that they have risen to prominence in the legislature, they have now acquired substantial purchase within Israel and the, and the big within the military and the big you know important point here and the reason that the military and Israel can be conquered like this and cannot, you know, fend off some kind of ideological takeover from without is because the primary mission of the Israeli military is exactly the the, the portfolio of the ministry that Ben Gvir has given himself, national security, which according to the Israeli military means maintaining the occupation, military occupation of the West Bank and maintaining the blockade around Gaza. 
And that mission basically means that they are, you know, their their job is to protect settlers, maintain the area for them. And while a lot of the soldiers hate this job, and a lot of the military leaderships thinks that you know this is you know it's a disaster, etc. A lot of people, and you can see videos of you know senior Israeli officers, you know, getting like you know lifted up by the same people who are launching pogroms in East Jerusalem or in Hawara. Um, you know, you see, I mean, truly, like, there's a reason that these pogroms were happening uh, all the same, you know, recently just as well. Like, there is a, a, a real ferment, a real dangerous amount of power that has, uh, you know, gone to the far right in this country. And it's not just, you know, in, in the Knesset. It's not just in the legislature. It's among the military. And it's among, you know, like, like the masses, among people who feel empowered to go, you know, like into Palestinian communities and fuck them up. Well, on the flip side of that, then, you have these, quote, unquote, and I'm going to say that a lot, probably, pro-democracy, yeah. kind of liberal, progressive-ish protesters mm-hmm. that are getting, you know, really, like, lionized, I'd say, in the Western press. There was so many, like, glowing tweets and profiles and pieces all over the papers and the Twitters and whatever. We're saving Israeli democracy. Yeah, say, which, yeah. It's, that's a hard word for me to— Well, to, they are s- technically for themselves. I mean, listen, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a good thing as long as we just say that, like, Israeli democracy is just kind of like— um, It's—you it's, it's, can differentiate that from democracy yeah, exactly. at large. It's, it's not, like, you know— It's Israeli it's like, democracy. It's like how a lieutenant general—it's not really general, mm, you know? Yeah. Like, it's, a, it's like, he's kind of lower. But I do want to, like, talk about that a little bit because that is one of the big tensions within the country right now is that you have this kind of— I mean, for lack of a better world word, like I don't know, like metropolitan kind of Blake Flayton. What? Blake Flayton. <laughs> I mean, there is a lot of like tech workers, right? The tech yeah. work, the yeah. tech sector well, in Tel Aviv is fucking massive, and we can talk about that for a little bit. I mean, there was a lot of profiles about tech workers walking out of jobs of, of these kind of like very wealthy, you know, Tel Aviv residents going out in the streets to protest against these judicial reforms. Yeah, but listen, the startups that uh, they're working for, they're, um, how do you say, they're for women, they're pussy startups. <laughs> they're terrible. They're not doing, they're the real money, the real money in Israel. And like the macho Israeli thing is that like the tech industry there, it's not civilian. It's not like, you know, these, you know, sort of, uh, it's not like Facebook and stuff. Like a substantial chunk of it, far more than in the U.S., is 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 not just downstream. Oh, it's, but spy, it's like, yeah, it's like it's spy technology. It's, it's 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 yeah, it's part of the military. Well, yeah, of course. And so this is where it's like that degree of civilian protest is you know it's sort of like okay like will the workers at corrupt factories you know revolt against their Rhineland bosses well no I mean that's the whole point I mean it's inherently limited and I want to talk about that because it really fucking pisses me off yeah I know the kind of coverage that this gets because it's like okay the entire Israeli tech sector which really came into its own after I mean look in the middle of the Second Intifada, right, Israel's in a huge depression, basically. You had the huge, like, blow-up in, in the, of the U.S. tech sector in 2000. Tourism dies in Tel Aviv, basically, in the mid-2000s. And when they're able to kind of resurrect in this tech sector, it's because they are building massive surveillance tools and weaponry that they're proving— on Palestinians, and they're able to sell them at such high prices because they're able to go to to countries which are now like shit. We gotta, you know, we need weapons contracts now that we're, you know, it's the wake of 9/11. 
You know, and Israel's kind of rising in this moment to offer this because they can show you, hey, look, we've used this on the Palestinians. This fucking works. That's the legacy of the tech sector, right? That's who yeah. built yeah. these I people mean, who are, quote unquote, pro-democracy protesters. And so the limitation that's built into this, I'm sorry, it just like really makes me like. No, I mean, it's, it is. It's, part, it's, it's really it's, tough for me to fucking stomach this shit in the Western media when I see this kind of stuff. Well, I, I think, too, it's without funny. Without that context. It's funny. I, I will say, like, it, the past couple of years, the the Israeli sort of, like, spy tech sector, I think, has become so large that it's becoming basically impossible to ignore. I mean, there was all those, like, long investigations. There's a story the that just came out that is yeah. really, that's also worth seeing about how uh, there was a, I think it was in the New York, yeah, it was in the New York Times, and it was about how even though the U.S. government Parts is right now its official position is that they are working to shut down NSO's Pegasus spyware, which allows – it's an Israeli product that allows governments to spy on people without them knowing. You know, it's, it's like a it's – a, it's the most – it's like the, you know, the, the bleeding edge of, of international spyware. Um, there are shell companies that are being used to create and get uh, licenses for Pegasus where we know that the end user – is still the U.S. government. Yeah. Right. So, like, you know, there is a, uh, you know, a, a, a truly, you know, there is a subterranean power network that is, you know, really what, like, binds the U.S. to the other, to the leaderships of, you know, Israel, Saudi Arabia, uh, Dubai, and so forth. And, you know, to your point, uh, Liz, I think that in the case of Israel, like, the, like, bourgeois Jewish society in Israel is extremely uh you know it, it's 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 hurting its numbers are declining many of the people who can leave the country for decades they have there is a real sense that this is as they feel it the last opportunity that they have to keep their country being uh, you know as something like what they remember yeah and of course like you know i don't think that that's a a fairly realistic proposition but, you know, I think that there's not really, like... Uh, I and think you, but to be clear, when you say something like they remember, the threat being, like, that it's taken over by religious, like, crazy exactly. religious fundamentalism. Yeah, they not like that it's ex- because precise. they let the Palestinians in exactly. and so, have which it is actually means, you know, state. Which is, like, you know, and, 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 and if Israelis were a, a you know, if Israeli, poli- if Israeli political life was a serious place, and it is not, but if Israeli political life were a serious place, then I think that the you know the real you know basis of inquiry into how the fuck did this happen mm-hmm. would obviously begin and end with well it's because like you know we've just sort of made the whole country on like you know a, like a burial ground for Palestinians and we have this you know aggressive like like there is a it is clearly linked. That the forces of reaction, far reaction, of high, re- you know, of, of the most aggressive uh, and you know, like um, you know, retrograde forces imaginable, have been empowered by the you know in- enhanced military propaganda, hypernationalism that has been required for Israel to maintain that state of subjugation against the Palestinians. And, you know, that's discussion it, – like it's happening in parts. Like I've seen, fo- you know, like the kids burning their draft cards and stuff at yeah. protests. And, you know, I've but, seen – like there are like heroic individuals in small groups. But it's like th- they're just that. You know, they're not Leninist cadre small groups either, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I think I want to actually talk about real quick what 
exactly Netanyahu and his coalition is trying to do right, right, right. to the courts, right? So the government basically is like, you know, you have this unicameral parliament, you have, you know, the the prime minister and his coalition, and then you have the courts. And the court, the judges, as far as I know, are are not, it, they're, they're not uh, nominated in the same way that they would be in like America, for instance. Yeah, like, we're a- all familiar with like, Supreme Court judges being, but you know this happens to federal judges on all levels. Um, you know, being nominated and then like being, you know, being, uh, you know, d- d- interrogated, all this stuff, blah blah blah. Not how it goes in Israel. Uh, and so that was, you know, and this has been sort of a bugbear of the Israeli right for quite a long time. I think there's a few factors that uh, show why this is like really coming to the fore right now. But one of them is that like some of Netanyahu's coalition partners, this is a really big issue for them. And so in order for them to like really have his back, he needed to make this like a basically a binding clause for getting in the coalition for coming into government. Like yeah. we will pursue this and we will get this done. And it's the Israeli courts are like, you know, in the same way. I mean, and historically, you know, courts like in the American South, for example, like the federal courts were like, you know, the enemy for about a hundred. I mean, they probably still are in many respects, like, you know, consent decrees and all the like to enforce, you know, school enforcing uh, school yeah. integration and things of that nature. Um, obviously not just in the South, but like that is the kind of antipathy that these figures have for the courts. Because, you know, as Brace is saying, like it's a more credential, professionalized thing. People um, who get to be who, – who get to work in the Israeli high courts uh, tend to be people who are, you know, secular Israelis who are – I mean, again, it's like, yes, you could like chalk it up obviously to cultural and ideological differences. But, you know, it's it really is, you know, a sort of like – it's a – I mean I think unwittingly perhaps it was like a really effective like class barrier, like her static class position within the Israeli government even as the Israeli government's you know, social – majoritarian social base that constituted its you know, parliamentary yeah. you know, like democracy uh, changed over time. So what's happening is Netanyahu is trying to basically make it so that judges – and this is really focused on the Supreme Court – are uh, nominated by the government. Yes. And this has been uh, not received very well. Well, and there's life. also the like, like, like the idea is that like the the plan, or that like the legislation is in and of itself like a path toward, and this is clearly what they want, is you know ending judicial review. Yes, because the courts, like it's you know there 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 is a like the letter of the legislation um, is like. It's bad enough as it is, but I think what is you know m- m- just as scary to uh, you know the, the the you know your average like liberal is you know sort of uh, you know quote unquote democracy minded Israeli is this idea that like the courts are going to cease to do anything other than like you know the most like uh, perfunctory of details yeah and you know I, I think that like that's a it's. It's a very it's a it's a very real possibility because this this reform this it has been stopped it has been delayed only a month yeah. basically because there has just been such outcry and because the protests in Israel right now are unprecedented. So what led to these these specific huge outpouring of protests? I mean, there's been protests basically for the past few months, but what led to this like huge upsurge in protests is Netanyahu. Fired, but not really fired. Said he was going to fire. He said he was going to release it. It was like it, a warning shot. It was, yeah, exactly. It's like you're fired, but we're not actually, you know, yeah. there's yeah, no the paperwork or anything. Defense Minister Galan, and which I got to say, great name if you're going to be a defense yeah. minister. Because mm. let me tell you, when you I don't lived, want Goofus up there, I was about <laughs> to say Goofus was horrible for Israel. <laughs> My uh, God. So, uh, 
Gallant is a he's not a uh, he's not a good guy. No, we don't like him. You're saying the defense uh, minister of Israel isn't a good guy? <laughs> we don't like him. No, he's a he's a bad guy, and he is, you know, the re- he, he, his firing, however, was sort of seen as like a, so like it's also funny. It's one of these things where um, like uh, it techn- like Netanyahu says I'm going to fire him, and Gallant says I don't accept. Yeah. And Gallant is basically oh, by the way, like, great move to say when you're not when you get say, fired. Yeah. Just people say, don't know I don't this. You can say like, oh no, I'm good. Yeah, it's, <laughs> no, it's thank like, you. Or the Costa- or or George Costanza. Just you pretend he didn't quit. Just go, yeah. you're fired. go back, go back work. the next yeah, day. Go yeah, go back and work. Leave that me. bed under your desk. Yeah. Yeah. Live your best life. <laughs> and so the uh in in the case of Gallant, it's like he is speaking for the army establishment, which is like, you know, again, another sign that you live in an amazing and healthy society is when the military is, you know, speaking through its civilian leadership and winks and nods to say that they're not going to abide something further. And, you know, this is like you've now seen a whole bunch of like leaders and high ranking soldiers in the Israeli military and all people say that they're not going to do reserve duty and all this stuff. The like, pilots. Exactly. Like, because they're listen, like, we're not, they, not going to bomb truckers And so in Galan, Syria. you know, never actually got like the formal paper or whatever. Yeah. So they've just basically and Netanyahu hasn't rescinded so so they've decided like you know this true like I mean this this is such like bullshit and anti-republic crap but like they've just decided that we're putting it on we're putting the firing on hiatus we're putting the judicial reform on hiatus even though you know it's possible that like one could be undone and and one won't and you could probably guess which is which that like the the judicial reform has a very strong chance if not an outright likelihood of succeeding yeah because there are not there like it's not like there are tools that can stop it outside from public opprobrium and then the other thing is that you know the the like Gallant is, uh, if he can be convinced, if the army can be made convinced that you know there is some kind of you know fake compromise or something, they'll buy it. So I that think, that's kind of what I assume is going to happen. Yeah, is a fake compromise because that's what you know Netanyahu after this entire you know this public outcry you know a lot of bad press for Israel here. Uh, Netanyahu comes out and says like, listen, we're going to put it on hold, like you said, for a month. And you know we'll have some talks, right? Mm-hmm. We'll come to a compromise. But and again, I'm speaking. This is this isn't. I'm not saying this is morally good or whatever. But this is realpolitik. If he's doing the thing that you should do if you are in his position, he will basically do a fake compromise because no, I'm sure they've already thought of this. That there are things that they're willing to take out or whatever that won't affect generally what would happen. And would still please the people, you know, or, or you know, like we'll find out that like the gulfs, like because this is the other thing, like America, which is also again, like we try to, you know, we we maintain the position of sort of refereeing a lot of Israel shit uh, in private and in public, and also in in door in, in in conversations that don't involve Israel. Meaning that like it's entirely conceivable to me that the Israeli government. You know, the Abraham Accords were considered the is- Israel doing good and doing yeah, right. right. That like, you know, not that like, which is fakakta because obviously the is- Abraham Accords were a huge fucking dub for Israel that didn't have to give anything up and is now on a path towards normalizing trade relationships yeah. with the wealthiest countries that are surrounded. And so – and that previously hated it. And so, you know, like and so on. And so – you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they'll be like, okay, like we'll also like, you know, like, you know, just in the same way that like Israel, you know, Israel's like decades long feud with Morocco, that's sarcasm, uh, you know, was resolved through the majesty of negotiation and the Americans. They'll find some other bullshit to do it as well. And they will try and put some lipstick on this pig and then hope that like, you know, what happens next won't be so bad, which I think is, you know, 
<laughs> I'm not sure how that'll work out because it does seem like this will be pretty bad. Well, I mean, you know, you said the protests were, I think you said this, but if you didn't, then I'm just going to pretend you did, <laughs> that they were pretty unprecedented and pretty yes, serious. Yes. And I, I mean, I will say like Netanyahu, when he backed out, he did seem spooked. He said that, I mean, I think the government seemed a bit spooked at the reaction, and they, I mean, they said they wanted to, like, prevent a civil war, like, using those words, which is, like, a pretty, you know, that's pretty harsh language. You don't yeah. want to be throwing is, that I mean, out there. Uh, like, I, you know, I, I I do think that because I can get away with it and because I do think it's important and historically just, I do think that, like, again, like, some of, like, the Weimar and Nazi comparisons are important here because if we're talking about, like, you know, a progressive drift of policy and government toward genocide – which is what I think is, you know, the case in Israel. Like it's, it's like it is a, it is a, there's a genocidal intent to get rid of, to wipe out, to cleanse Palestinian populations. Uh, I think that part of how it's going to get there is that, you know, these unprecedented people, the, you know, in the same way that like, you know, people who wanted to ultimately seize the power of government to carry out those sorts of policies, uh, they didn't want to do it in a, you know, a popular national revolution. They wanted a legalistic means mm. by which that could happen. So again, like what is the point of, let's say they get a fake compromise on this bill, right? So, and, you know, and, and to, to mollify the protesters, but just to mollify them, to maybe facilitate their brain drain out of the country, to facilitate their, you know, economic drain out of the country. And, you know, that leaves room open for, you know, favored right-wing people to take their positions within the civil service and within the professional sphere. Like this is a... You know, there is a – like the contradictions that compose Israeli society at the moment can only be resolved through their, you know, like a like a, like a exertion of horrifically violent energy on the Palestinians around them. And that is, you know, like the question to me. And but like that's what always this, been the case. No, but the, what we are seeing now, what I'm saying yeah. is that like the, the – like, like the, the fullest, most deadly capacity of that is – like <laughs> that is what's up for debate. That is what's being contested over right now. And one of the ways that it can happen is because all of the people who we've just now seen in the streets are going to feel so politically marginalized because the country is so far gone that they're going to become put up even less of a fight. It's going to become a very like I think that it could become a very like all of this all of this freak out right now may end up being for naught. Is and that's a you know I don't think that's a good like it's I don't think that bodes well. Well, you mentioned the U.S. and how we've always been the kind of like, you know, I don't know. Handlers is not the right word, but we always had our hands in there, let's yeah. say. Yeah. Mixing it up. Messing around. Yeah, <laughs> we're always around. What? Let's talk about our – I don't like saying our. Let's, let's talk about the U.S. and its relationship with Israel during all of this because we were talking before we started recording that – I mean, the relationship between the U.S. and Israel since – I guess it would be since the Obama admin yeah. has undergone lots of change. Things have changed. Yeah. Well, um, I mean really – Over the past whatever it's been. Yeah. What, like 20 years? Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. I mean, like 50, well, 15. <laughs> 15. <laughs> so, I mean, it's – Netanyahu is – I mean, he is, he is a meaningful – if not – he's not a transformative figure because I don't like in Israeli society or history. But he is like, you know, one of the things that he did augur – was the way in which Israel became openly willing to play, like, t to get in the mix in domestic U.S. politics. Mm. And what he figured out was that, like, we can always get more for ourselves and I can shore up myself domestically if I dump on the Democrats and, in particular, Obama. 
And that became, you know, that feature of Israeli political life has not gone away because no longer do Israel, you know, some of the people, many of the people protesting in the streets in Israel, I do believe, feel very strongly that, you know, Netanyahu uh, uh, has fucked up the relationship with Biden or something. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is that what he's really done is, you know, created this template for how people can get the most out of the United States, how Israel can get the most out of the United States government with, you know, not having to concede a fucking inch on anything that it wants. And so, you know, that at this moment, I think, you know, Netanyahu and Biden's in particular relationship has, has never been that strong, yeah. especially because Netanyahu picked on Obama so much and, you know, went and delivered an address to Congress basically shitting on the president, yeah, yeah. which is, again, fairly unprecedented stuff. Um, so, you know, Netanyahu is, is, is not winning any friends. However, you know, Obama <laughs> negotiated and got like a 10-year, $38 billion a military aid package for Israel. Yeah, so Israel gets I mean, like. I mean, that's the thing is like that. There, there's some things that are non-negotiable in politics. Yeah. One of those is well, it is negotiable, but it's like uh, it negotiates up is how yeah. much money we're just going to give Israel. Like it doesn't really matter. Like, like Netanyahu could be like, yeah, Joe Biden is a pedophile. And Joe Biden would have to be like, all right, I'm sorry. Here's $15 billion. Well, it would be like, listen, I, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm BB, he may say that. But I love Israel. Uh, but I mean, Yer Netanyahu, for instance, Bibi's beautiful son. Who, Immaculately behaved. By the way, podcast, Yer Netanyahu and the Bolsonaro boys, crazy would be crazy, <laughs> crazy good podcast. That's a ringer network podcast. <laughs> but Yer Netanyahu is like has does actually have a podcast. And he's been saying that Joe Biden is essentially behind this color revolution. In Israel, which is like uh, – but the White House released this like sort of very like – I mean it's the exact sort of statement you'd expect the White House to be put out. Like we're watching these developments <laughs> and like we're we, we're, we're, we, we're, we believe in the strength of Israeli democracy. Yeah. Uh, and it, it is just like it's – it's the relationship is like it's strained between – like you know, Netanyahu hasn't even met with Biden. No. Yet. I mean, obviously, it's, he hasn't been in power that whole time. But, uh, you know, it, it's unlikely that he probably will. At the core of it, though, it's – and I do believe this – is that, like, support for Israel is totally non-negotiable. Like, we will continue giving them as much weaponry and as many resources I mean, he, as they want, no, essentially, no matter what. Yeah, well, and part of, you know, it's like, look, like, there, there is, like – Israel has a nuke. <laughs> like there's, yeah, they do have a there, nuke. There is, there's yeah. a, there are like reasons beyond. Yeah, there's like, some limitations it, here. Like and and there's a re and and you know they have a nuke. Um and and what's more, you know when they buy weapons, right? Like Israel, just like Saudi Arabia and Dubai and all these other places, spending money on American weaponry and machinery. Like you know, like that is part of the system by which like the dollar gets to be the dollar. Yeah, and I think that like Israel in particular gets kind of discounted as part of like that you know what you know what other people have called like a dollar recycling mechanism, right? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know because it's so small fry or whatever. But when you really look at it, mm. you actually do see that no, these companies and the products they serve are just as much a part of like this defense value chain that is an essential part of like the American trade balance. Yeah, and there is you know a like that is going to be. I mean, look, I I think that like. The, the degree to which support for Israel is going to be non-negotiable will change for a number of reasons. And, and you know, the Palestinian issue will, I think, be, you know, remain the primary one. But I also think that, you know, for example, like even if Israel does have a nuke, for example, and all this other stuff, are we going to want to continue to send them our highest, you know, weaponry, our most sensitive intelligence and all these other things? Will we, you know, will that, will, you know, the, um, 
will will Israel continue to be a customer of U.S. intelligence, uh, not just like in the private sector, but like to use you know like spy lingo? Like, will they continue mm. to have this sort of a you know hand in glove U.S. U.K. Yeah. style relationship? I mean, I you know. Uh, don't take fucking anything for granted. Yeah, I mean, totally. like, like, you know, like this there is we're, we're living recently, in fun times. Like there was like some diplomatic cables that were just like leaked recently where there was like some Israeli diplomat talking about the U.S. and saying how like weak leadership was and all of this stuff. I mean, that relationship is really strange. Yes. And also it should be clear that like, you know, people like a lot of the places like Israel and stuff that are knocking Israel, like the U.S. for weak leadership and stuff, obviously like Netanyahu is not a strong leader. He's a he, – he's like um, – like is, Israeli state capacity, Israeli everything outside of the military is so fucked is so uh, you know like um, like like rotted is mm. so unable to actually like mobilize or have anything except for those like you know hyper religious nationalist types yeah. as a social force and so the ability I think to you know really I mean it's it's re- it just it can't be overstated how much power and like organization and like capacity within Israel really just exists within this like gigantic you know and otherwise sluggish and fucked up bureaucracy that is the military. Well, that's I was about to, I was about to say that though it's because like yeah okay you might say it's negotiable like exactly how much intelligence or military stuff we're sharing with them right. But I do think that like the U.S. probably rightly recognizes the military in Israel as a countering political force to a perhaps destabilizing orthodox minority who, if they get power, will cause more headaches for – I mean America would like essentially the status quo that Israel Absol- has now. It, where, they, where they join us in, in blowing up Soleimani or they can bomb Syria or – you know, Syria it, is the other – you bring that up because that's the other important thing here uh, and Egypt actually because Egypt yeah. is an almost Syria, which, which shouldn't be forgotten that like yeah. from the perspective of Israel, which is that like Israel views its borders with Syria and Egypt as basically like gigantic potential – problem areas if there's ever serious human catastrophe, you know, like, um, like World War Z, You're right? talking migrants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, like, like, like the World War Z, like, stereotype of all the, like, your zombies flying over the separation barrier. Like, right. that is what Israeli politicians and leaders see when they think about Sudanese people and Eritreans, you know, fleeing, right. gen- right. f- you know, fleeing, uh, you know, some of the worst conditions imaginable, uh, you know, through Egypt. Like, like, that is what they imagine. And especially as a Syria, you know, like as that situation perhaps continues to stabilize now that Assad has reestablished relations with Saudi Arabia um, and so forth. Um, he's out walking about. He's chilling, yeah, man. Yeah. He's, he's, like, going to with, he's going to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, he's yeah. fine. He's, he's I mean, hanging out. There's he's taking photos. Like, you know, there may now be – it's I think <laughs> – I think that, like, the Syrian consideration is, you know, if now that, like, that is easing, like, basically, you know, to me what's sort of interesting is, like, the important geopolitical thing that Israel is occupied in keeping those areas, you know, like, like managing those borders or whatever. Uh, like, will they continue to get to occupy that role? You know, will Israel just continue bombing the shit out of Syria? Will yeah. Israel continue to, like, effectively act as, like, a hardcore border guard, you know, in collaboration with Sisi? Will Sisi – you know, like, it's a very – um, like the whole point of Israel for American policy is that in a region that has all of these valuable resources and unstable governments that like Israel is the rock. Yeah, we got Israel in change and we got our yeah. guy. Except – and so now if it turns out that like actually, you know, he's our guy but like he's picked up a coke habit, then like yeah. is he really our guy? Yeah. Well, it's also tough because the foreign, esta- the foreign policy establishment, you know, for the most part, D.C., Europe – 
Germany, Brussels, you know, France, thinking about all that, really the liberal internationalist humanitarian blob, right? And running up, the, 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 the problem running up with um, with Israel is you have this like far right, hard right, not the kind of right wing government that can easily be handled or whatever, but like a far right ultra orthodox takeover that that runs into that makes it really difficult to kind of sell some stuff even to the public. Right. You have look at the case with like Saudi Arabia yeah. and just how much like public perception has shifted in our you know peace partners in the Middle East. Saudi Arabia, you know, from the, the Khashoggi incident being the kind of like inciting one among the public. Yeah. But that relationship was very strained up until that point. Yeah. You it know, remains, it, it became I mean, too much. So. It became way too much to ignore among the like progressive yeah. liberal orthodoxy. And you can see the same thing shifting with Israel, which a lot of people have been applauding. But also, like you said, leads to, I mean, there's all these contradictions that are kind of coming to a head in a really explosive, volatile fucking, you know, situation I mean, we're, on the ground. And, and yeah. I do think as it relates to will we or will we not change our relationship with Israel or so and so on, um, you know, a big geopolitical question. I do think that, you know, again, like the the – and, 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 you know, in the same way, will we or won't we with Saudi Arabia? Um, it will, you know, if there, <laughs> if there is some other crisis, you know, like if oil prices go back up really high, if, you know, like there's – because there's just a possibility that, you know, there are a whole bunch of other things that we haven't – you know, that, that are just like on the horizon. I mean OPEC Plus, for example, just voted to say that they're going to, you know, halt production on barrels of oil because Saudi Arabia needs more money. Yeah. You know, against U.S. wishes. This is a surprise, you know, uh, barrel hike or a uh, production cut and price hike. And so, you know, like what happens if, you know, for whatever reason, you know, 1974, 1979, those oil shocks, in addition, obviously, to the Volcker interest rate shock. I mean, these are – those are, you know, like – Exogenous isn't the right word, but like those were incredibly destabilizing, yeah, you sure. know, political and you know, and monetary policies or whatever. That you know, there could be some kind of thing that you know we're either not seeing or, a, but fundamentally, a political decision, like a, a yeah. choice made by policymakers and not just like you know, force majeure, that will you know really push people to test these alliances. But, you know, MBS finally but you're already goes. Already seeing it, not even in the Middle East, like all throughout Europe. Yeah, yes. everything. Well, I mean, yeah, I was yes. reading. I mean, yeah, what inflation is doing to Europe, what energy prices are going to do to Europe is uh, unprecedented, the amount of uh, destabilizing energy I think we're feeling. I mean, I saw, like, all these bakeries in France are closing because they cannot afford to buy the butter. No. Well, they use – have you seen how they make a croissant? (laughs) There's a lot of butter. I know, jokes aside, but the price for it was, like, 6 euro, year over year, now up 12 euro. I mean – It's impossible. I mean, the only people that are still investigating who blew up the Nord Stream, evidently, are the Germans, and the leads that the U.S. are feeding them are going nowhere. They'll they'll get to it someday. They'll figure that out someday. (laughs) It just happened. It, yeah, I mean, this is it's it, this is the thing though, is right? It's like you know, it, it, Israelis and, and and their American cousins have something in common, which is you know, again, like we are terrific at talking and saying one thing while we just do another, yeah, and move, you know, and 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 like the the like you know the the more and more the chasm the chasm between those two things you know gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, the I, I mean, at least to me, you know, the the more the more you know 
violent the rupture will feel when it becomes clear that like, oh shit, we have pushed a relationship too far with one of these countries or we've brought them in too close. Right. And we have, you know, and, and now we are co-signing something that like, you know, we have never, like our government has never prepared the public for. I mean, seriously, like think about how crazy it'll be. Like if, you know, a government that has been telling, you know, that has been feeding the American public on stories of Exodus and Ari Ben Kanan and, you know, and APAC yeah. and all this shit for, you know, decades suddenly has to go and tell the American public, so listen, there are riots in Medina, Riyadh, Mecca, Cairo, uh, because a bunch of Israeli soldiers just decided to light up a bunch of Palestinian worshipers in the Dome of the Rock. Like there are, you know, I mean, this is to me one of the, the greatest tragedies I don't know. I mean, I think they'll either they'll sell it fine or no one's going to pay attention anyway. I, I think by I mean, I think that there is a a, a, a to me like a, a a real like the more and more like that we the further and further our government gets away from being able to transparently sell its geopolitics and yeah. is instead resorting to like this like you know crazy like you know scattershot diplomatic game using exhausted cold war you know like you know globalization rhetoric then like the you know the tougher spot it's going to find itself yeah i mean that's the that's the trouble with like <laughs> i don't know like when the rubber hits the road right i mean we we joke about like the lion fake news media i love that turn of phrase but i will say that like more and more, you see the media saying one thing and the reality being like completely, utterly, absolutely yeah. the opposite. And that can only be sustained for so long. 100%. In, in so many 100%. fucking cases. And I mean, that's, you know, I, I think you see it very, very clearly in a lot of situations recently in Europe where just the description of events is the exact opposite of what <laughs> happened. I mean, it's like actually yeah. is like yeah. unreality speak. And, you know, we see it more and more in America, but we're so. We're so we're so, we're so we're, isolated from I mean, the world it, I, in so I, many I, ways. This Lenin I mean, that's obviously that I think about by design the, a little bit, but no. Totally, there's this Lenin quote I think about all the time. We mentioned it in blowback once, where he's like talking. He's like in the middle. It's like right. It's like in the era of World War One, and he's talking about like on the entrance of America into the war. And he's his whole point is to say that like, listen, it's not really a big deal right now. There will, however, be a world war between Japan and the U.S. down the line because mm. their imperial ambitions are going to collide, you know, prescient Lenin as ever. He also says that America will have a great deal of trouble summoning the kind of mobilization necessary yeah. for such a, such a war because the people there do enjoy great personal freedom, which is true. Americans have geographic, regional, you know, yeah. like, we have all of these things that are, you know, not so unique or not so necessarily exceptional by themselves, but taken together create this way of life and this, you know, fair amount of detachment from global affairs that is, you know, I mean, as, you know, like it eventually will come home to roost. Who the fuck knows when? But like you can't deny that. Yeah, and I think that like to me, you know, to what you're saying, it's like, yeah, like the the more and more we sort of accept this position of unreality and we just say that like, oh, people like, like places like Israel are just uncomplicated democracies that we should support to the hilt and that, you know, we should just keep sending untold amounts of weaponry to people who not all that long ago were killing Jews. Uh, you know, I mean, to me, it's like, yeah, those are ultimately like – it's, you know, I mean, look, you could say that, like, ultimately, however you want to say it went down, sending a bunch of guns and ammo into uh, Afghanistan to fight the Soviet Union blew back on the U.S. in a certain way. Look at that. Just wow. so smooth uh, the way I you. I that? 
Look at that, the way he promotes the, you just slip it right in. Well, you know, it seems like this El Chapo guy was running a trap house out of his <laughs> villa in Mexico. Wait, that's the wrong guest. You know what? So to me, Tel Aviv <laughs> seems like a town full of cum. So, uh, no. <laughs> that one's pretty good. That, that one's pretty good. good. Uh, good. And I hope, you know. You should give them that one. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I, 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 I think my... With Israel, I guess it's just <laughs> – I have a hard time wrapping – making myself care essentially yeah. about this. I mean I think that's that's the case for a lot of people. Like it, you know, these are – it's interesting that these protests are happening. It's funny that they're calling it a civil war. But at the end of the day, like the main issue that a lot of people have or the main thing that people know about or care about in regards to Israel isn't necessarily the ins and outs of Israeli parliamentary politics or the, the way that the judiciary – acts, uh, you know, as a force in society, but it's the treatment of, of Palestinians, um, which, uh, you know, does actually have a lot to do with the makeup of the government now. But at the end of the day, like, I guess the tension here for me, it's not really a tension actually at all, is that like the protesters, like we said, are protesting for Israeli democracy, right? Yeah. Which is a democracy that is an apartheid democracy, yes. right? Uh, against a government that is... Uh, is is more uh, aggressive and you know has these out and out open racists instead of the sort of coded racists of some of the liberal wing, uh, you know who 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 believe in like forced not at all like forced resettlement but like you know just outright murder in the case of Ben Gavir and some of the other people in uh, in, in government of, of Palestinians. It, it, at the end of the day, though, like the status quo, even if the protesters get all of their you know what, what they want if they you know if they they have the, a new I mean not even a liberal government but if they get this judicial overhaul like you know totally rescinded uh, there is still this this insane military occupation you know there's still the the, the not only the blockade but you know, the encirclement of Gaza uh, in this you know, giant open air concentration camp uh, none of these things will will fundamentally change in this and so like for me it's just like and I feel sort of bad saying this in a way but like. You know, I, I just like that something kind of bad is happening to Israel. <laughs> and, like, I, I know that's sort of like a, probably a juvenile way to look at it. But, like, um, I, I couldn't give a fuck what some Israeli liberal wants for his government. Well, I mean, look, to that point, I think that, like, it, that that gets to the heart of it, which is the question, you know, or at least, like, the, the I think, like, what is, like, the, the essential question, the, the question at the core of all of it. You know that a lot of people want to ask, or you know, would you know, like, would exasperatedly shout on Twitter, like, "Ugh, well then, what is a good Israeli to do?" And the answer to that is like, stand with Palestinians. Yeah, exactly. Because if there is a way that Israeli government and society is redeemed, it's not going to begin, uh, you know, with like shutting down the island highway in downtown Tel Aviv. Like that is a hell of a gesture, and it's not something that's ever happened in Israel before. But until that, there are Jews who yeah. are standing up for the rights of Palestinians that live yeah. in and are getting bloodied in Jenin and Huara. Yeah. Then like this isn't owing to this isn't going to be a revolution in a positive direction. Well, I will say there was there was a big outcry after the, like you, you know we mentioned Huara a couple times, right? This 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 made the news in a lot of places. If you hadn't seen it, there was a, a, a pogrom. Multiple, multiple, multiple pogroms in a few villages. This Palestinian town, Hawara, by by settlers. Uh, two Israelis had been shot, uh, and then you know just hundreds of, of Israeli settlers descended on these Palestinian yeah. villages, burned hundreds of homes, killed a guy. 
beat the shit out of and, other and, people. And to be really. clear, the, the person who used the word pogrom in the media that was most well-known was a former Israeli military leader. Yes, yeah, yeah. And to be clear also, the guy they shot wasn't the guy who shot these two guys. He was just no. a random guy. Israelis had already killed five people, including the gunman, they say. Although, I mean, it's fucking Israel, so who the fuck knows? Uh, including the gunman, they say, in a different raid. So this was just purely retaliatory uh response against something that had already been in, in these people's own logic solved, uh, but, you know, the, destroyed these towns. And it was a finance minister came out and he said like, oh, you know, cause he's a big settler leader. He's like, you know, uh, I, 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 at first, you know, he was liking all these tweets, like basically celebrating this pogroms. And then he came out and said, well, actually, like, I don't believe that, that, that I think these were bad. I don't think that, uh, that, that citizens should take this into their own hands. I believe that the Israeli state should have have done these pogroms, and you sort of saw this the, the, these 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 Israeli liberals kind of decrying it and saying like, oh no, you know, like this is horrible, this is you know, this right wing, blah blah blah. But at the end of the day, you believe the precise same exact thing also, as this the person. the state is doing the pogroms. That's what I'm saying. The state, well, though, first the state, of all, if the state lets it happen, the state is doing yeah, it. Yeah, there were. I mean, there's just soldiers like because like, like, that's also there. like the mission of soldiers when a settler, like you know, this is like breaking the silence. The group of uh, former yeah. Israeli soldiers, they give a lot of tours, heroic people. They, you know, they 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 they, they like have they. I went on a tour with them years ago where, you know, they like – I'd known the concept intellectually but having it demonstrated was very helpful where like if you see Israeli settlers and Palestinians out, you know, and they're like, you know, let's say fighting over because the Israelis want the goats to be you – know, Palestinian goats to be, you know, they're not allowed to eat where the Israelis want to, whatever. So if the settlers decide, all right, well, we're going to start wailing on these Palestinians and we're going to kill their goats, the job of the Israeli soldiers there, even though this would obviously, you know, the, the morality of the situation is pretty clear to anybody around, the job of the Israeli soldiers is to protect the settlers. Yeah. What does that mean? You're basically giving these people an escort while they commit their beatdown. Yeah. Well, not only an escort, it's like if, you know, if if some guy, your Palestinian guy and some settler starts beating the shit out of you, you know, you start beating the shit out of him. You get shot. Yes. So yes, essentially, yes, like you, yes, it's yes, it's, it's like, extra muscle. Yeah, it's extra. Mu- it's someone pointing a gun at you while you get your ass kicked, or right. your house burned down, or your village burned. So down. you know, it's again like Israelis, understandably, are like skeeved out by the rhetoric because yeah, it's skeevy rhetoric. Yeah. But like, brother, that's the reality. Well, then that's so. I guess that's that's. And we were talking about this before the episode started. So I guess that 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 sort of leads me to my my view on this. In that, like, you know, like I I mean I. I don't really support the protesters, I guess you could say, in that, like, I, I am almost glad that, like, this government is is in here and is doing this because, you know, they are kind of giving lie to this Israeli democracy, yeah. right? And and this Israeli militarist ethos and this, like, this permanent state of exception, right? Yeah. Is they're putting, like, the, the thing is, like, I think at the end of the day, and again, I'm not speaking about everybody, but I'm speaking about sort of the really the mainstream here in, in Israeli society, the liberals, is that they're they're too vulgar about it? You know, well, that's the thing they want. The, that's what they're really protesting for. What they're trying to save is the mask. Yeah, the mask. Right? Yeah. They're like, we need to. You guys are so have to keep the mask. I mean, we need to keep the bubble. That's what it yeah. is. And you know, and look, the bubble it, needs to keep its hard. And if you know. we want to get rid of the mask, well, somebody's gonna have to stop them. But I think to your point about like, <laughs> sorry, why, <laughs> why you know why care about this. Or like how like what's you yeah. know the kind of takeaway? I mean, something that I've been kind of thinking about. There was this like recently, this Brazilian philosopher like came out in an interview and was talking about how um, what he was seeing in the world was like the Israelification of the of the world. <laughs> oh. 
Um, and, 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 and a Brazilian ob- to say that. <laughs> well, no, that was the point. I mean, yeah, he I was saying it in <laughs> like an obvious like reference to the Brazilianization of the world and saying what we're actually seeing right now possibly is the Israelization of the world. And like you do see that actually in these like these you know kind of anti-liberal, anti-whatever yeah. movements all around may in this kind of in this moment of like extreme um uh, <laughs> i don't know volatility popular volatility and like political uncertainty and institutions kind of flailing about um you see it all over europe you see it, i mean I don't want to sound like some kind of like New York Times person or, no, or I, something talking about like backsliding or whatever, but I do think that you see this kind of. I mean, you see it in fucking in the U.S. Well, it's it also Florida the, is basically the yeah, exactly. I mean, US. Florida, yeah. t- Tennessee is is apparently headed there too. I think that the as far as like the making like all of these places like uh, Israel goes or something or like the, whatever, like part of what is the share right is that like. People aren't offered offered like a choice between like oh here's the good guys and the bad guys. It's here's one kind of bad guy and another kind of bad guy. And so what they end up voting on is really do I want the status quo or do I want to change? You know, and like that was the dynamic of like the Trump election in 2016. And I think that the more and more we start putting you know especially voting polities like the Israeli you know like in Israel start getting the option put before them of you know status quo or change, and the status quo just continues to feel like this unbearable interregnum. The more and more we're going to find that these change votes are not going to come out to our liking because no. no option that could actually yield a better future is being allowed to be presented. Yeah, I, I'll agree with that. I mean, I think that's mm. essentially what I'm saying with Israel, right? I mean, the, the two things, the two things on option here are, are the status quo, which is de facto apartheid, correct, uh, or a worse version of that. Yes, uh, and I mean that's 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 really similar to I think how a lot of people like felt. Like like you were saying in 2016 with Trump Trump and Clinton, right? It's like okay, well you can have more of this, but actually almost even a little worse. Uh, or you can have Trump, right? And it's like yeah, I mean no, there's no there's no like positive offering on on, on hand there. But there's also like no real indication that a lot of people, just like in America, really want up that that that, I mean, that the, any kind of positive offering a, either. The the person whose analysis, uh, sort of borrowing the formulation there from, was the latest story in Marilyn Young, who taught mainly about the Vietnam War uh, at NYU. But she, in this collection where she's talking about the Korean War, she talks about how in 1952, basically the American public was presented with, you know, a status quo vote for the Democrats, in that case, Adlai Stevenson, and, you know, who had taken up the Truman Mantle, uh, or Dwight Eisenhower. And Dwight Eisenhower, you know, even though he was like a fucking general or whatever, he represented change at that moment. And so the vast majority, like this, you know, huge amount of Americans who voted for him, it's not like they were voting because they agreed with like the new look or massive retaliation or all of these other, you know, crazy Cold War policies. Uh, They just wanted something that was different from what they viewed as like the really horrible stagnation of those final Truman years. And, you know, that is like the more and more, again, like I was just saying, like, yeah, like that ugly choice comes up, you know, the more and more we're just going to get ugly answers. Yeah. Which is what brings me to my solution. And this is my solution to – No, no. This is my solution to the Ukraine war as well. It's my solution to the Chinese-Indian border. It's my solution to – Indian and Pakistan for that matter. (laughs) It's really my solution to any global problem involving just two parties. Introduce a third one. And for me, I think that third one should be South Korea. (laughs) 
I think South Korea should invade Israel. <laughs> kind of just see what happens. They're spiritual. There. You know, they, they got some spiritual yeah, similarities. I'm, yeah, okay, <laughs> yes, but I feel, yeah, you know what? They're, they're homies. What they're if not... we just, or maybe we could ma- merge them, you know? Merge them? Yeah. Merge South Korea. Or just switch them. But that's kind of <laughs> what I'm saying, what this guy's talking about. You yeah, know? fuck. Well, who could invade Israel then? Certainly not Australia. Oh, wait. <laughs> fuck it, also- Mexico! Have Mexico invade Israel. See yeah. what happens. <laughs> this is my same thing. Ukraine, fuck it. I don't know. Put in Kenya. Just sort of see what happens there. You know, we've we've reached an impasse in so many of these global conflicts. So right? we just need to throw in. We just need to throw in a third guy. You yeah. know, it's like when you try to open up your marriage. <laughs> and oh well, I guess that doesn't really. I get, work well, I mean, yeah, no, time. I get it. A lot of nations have been going at it solo, poly, and exactly. now you know they yeah, need to. Exactly. They need to. They need to be part of a cue. I get it. Um, but my solutions to world problems aside, we got to wrap up here. Israel. Best of luck. (laughs) Good luck, guys. Brace. Yeah. Real quick. Uh Before we sign off. Do you think you would survive in the John Wick universe? Easily would survive in the John you Wick think? universe. Easily would survive. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. Have you seen, would you uh, be the pigeon man? The the bum? No. <laughs> no, he, no right. he was like fake bum. Bum was costume. You well, know, he is a he's just he's just he's rich, but he lives in the sewer. Morpheus, My, right? He, yeah, yeah. Here's what I would do in the John Wick universe. Well, there's several ways I would survive. But if you've noticed, and this is very prominent in the last movie. Uh, they block getting shot by putting their suit jackets up because they have bulletproof suits. Which, by the way, very sick. Yeah. My move uh, whenever I'm going anywhere oh, because heavy. of my natural cowardice is to kind of uh, unzip unzip my jacket yeah, and kind yeah. of go in it like, uh, you know, sort of. Cornholio s- style. Yeah, Cornholio style. Yeah. And so I would He's simply doing cornholio. do that. My other thing, too, is. Uh, there's a lot of but guys. That's, so they're only going to get you from the back then. So you're saying you're protected from the back, but not from the front. No, uh, yeah, not from the front, but I, but my smoothing smile will disarm people. Okay. Uh, the other thing, too, is I probably wouldn't be an assassin. I would just try to have a regular job. What would you be? Like, a, I don't know, I would, like a, like I'd work at like a brewery or like a florist or oh, something. Oh, you mean just like outside? Yeah. You're like, I'm not even in the movie. And my whole thing is I'd be like, what are these guys doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, I'm just a sim. John Wick killed like... 80 people in a nightclub. Like, yeah. isn't, shouldn't the police be here? You're not even on the subway. I know, but I'd be like, why isn't anyone arresting John Wick? I, I get it. The other guys are bad too, but he just murdered 80 people. But he's so cool. I understand that, but that's not. But ma- obviously the government is extremely corrupt in the John Wick universe. I know, but then I'm like, and I'm like trying to like check into a hotel that's also the Flatiron building. And they're like, actually, we only serve assassins here. And I get mm. in a lawsuit with them because I'm like, uh. I'm sorry, I'm a I'm a barista. I need to stay. That's not here. a protected class. You don't. I know, have but any I'm like rights. Uh, uh, well, there's like a Title IX for assassins in. Well, we don't know John the universe. I, listen, yeah, the government system, or or I. Well, you know what job I would not have, and which seems to be the most common job of the John Wick universe: mm. guys standing there, like in mm. the in the headquarters. Oh yeah, there are so well, many. Well, there's security. There's so many guys. Yeah, that's security. Uh, but but I seem to have your guys. What, do those guys have lo- like homes and families? Of course. 
Grace, part of being an adult is recognizing that other people have inner lives just like you do. No, first of all, everyone else is fake. It's like a video game except for me. But it's – I don't – I just don't understand why anyone lets this happen. Are there wars in John Wick? Do you know what I would be in the John Wick universe? Who? Stay-at-home wife. Stay-at-home wife to John Wick? But that didn't – Stay-at-home. Stay at you, but me she, stay at home. Yeah, but uh, would you be John Wick stay at home wife? No, I just mean in general. I'm you just, just I'm staying at so home. So both neither of us would be John Wick. I'm not in. Now, there aren't really a lot of guys like me in John. But Wick's you know field. what's great about the John Wick universe? What? Great homes. So I'm like I'm G- staying here. Crazy houses. Yeah, lives in the loop. Let's stay at home. Yeah, I'm I'm not going anywhere. I'm Liz. My name is Brace, the maitre d at the John Wick Hotel. We are of course joined by young. Chomsky and the podcast is called Drunon. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. Jeffrey